Hello, welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. Uh, I went to pick her up, but she was running late, which tends to happen when you're making carrot cake for the first time and you don't have a food processor. Okay, just to imagine like trying to cut carrot up. She was trying to make carrot cake, so I went inside to help her. She said that her parents were out uh, for the whole day and they wouldn't come back. Except then they did. Uh, they'd forgotten something and they came inside. And I remember standing awkwardly in the kitchen whilst her mum and dad had a little conference together. And then the mum was the chosen representative, I think because she had better English. And uh, she came over to me, and I'll never forget what she said. She said she begged me to go away and stop seeing their daughter. Now, fast forward a few years. They eventually accepted me. Uh, We got married, we had kids. And uh, whatever ill feelings there were between between us, um, me and my parents-in-law, gone. Uh, we respected each other. Even sometimes, I think, uh, were you know had affection for each other. But around the time my twins were born, uh, they were both diagnosed with cancer. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law. Lung cancer. Neither of them were smokers. Don't know why both of them got the same cancer at the same time. Uh, a little while later, my wife and I and our kids moved in with them to help care for them um, because my father-in-law was getting sick quite quickly. So we, we lived with them and we watched him over the next few months die. We, we, we bought an eight-seater car so we could take the two of them on a few trips, but we only managed one before he got too sick to do it again. And then two years later, uh, after being in and out of hospital sometimes better, sometimes worse, my mother-in-law also died. And I remember thinking for both of them, the same kind of question came into my mind. How can they be here one day, and the next, they're not? You know, the room that they were in, you know, I'd walk past and they'd look up at me. Uh, Sometimes I'd go in there and talk to them, they'd hold my hand, but suddenly the bed is empty. You know, their computer's still there, their emails are still coming on their phone. But they're not there anymore. How can they be here one day and the next they're just not? You might have experienced something similar when someone you know dies. What happens to them? Where do they go? What happens when people die is a pretty universal question because sooner or later, everyone you know will die if it's not you first. Uh, If you look at the statistics, the estimates are Around the world, you know, someone dies every second. Actually, probably two people die every second. People die. But then what? Is it just a full stop and that's it? There's nothing? Or is there something more? And if there is something more, how do you know what it is? You know, we can ask people who've been to the moon, hey, what was it like? Unless you think it's a conspiracy. Anyway, we can ask them. What was it like? I think they're planning to go back in a couple of years, and then you can ask them, what was it like? But when it comes to death, there's no one you can ask, what was it like? And you can't you know, really extrapolate from other data that you might get about life. Death 
remains un unquestionable. We don't know what's going on. So that's what we're getting thinking about tonight. Uh, like I said before, I'm no expert, and I feel the weight of, you know, this question is hard to answer. And so I hope that what I say will be helpful to you. Um, and the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to look to Jesus for the answers. Because, like I said, I'm no expert, but Jesus, I believe, has died and come back. If anyone is an authority on what happens when you die, it ought to be him. And the way we're going to look to Jesus for the answers is to look through the book of Mark. Uh, this is kind of like my recent hobby, is uh, when I have a big question about life or, or death, I've been testing it out and just going through. I'm going to read through Mark and see what Jesus says about this question. And so we're going to ask the question, what happens when we die? And we're just going to look at Mark's gospel for an answer. And we're going to jump in at a few points. There's more in there than what I can give you. Um, but we're going to have a look at the few key bits. So if you actually, if you've got a Bible, you can turn back to Mark chapter one. Hopefully, your Bible is still open. Go back to Mark chapter one. We're going to start at the beginning. Well, not quite the very beginning. The first half of the story, Mark chapters sort of one to eight. One of the most obvious things that comes out to you is Jesus has extraordinary power. Okay, so pick it up at verse twenty-nine. Mark chapter one, verse twenty-nine. Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Uh, talking about Jesus here. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve her. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. As the story goes on, Jesus heals all sorts of people. If you're paralyzed, Jesus can heal that. If you've got a fever, like Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus can heal that. The whole city comes, and they have various things wrong with them, and Jesus just heals them. Even the forces of evil, the demons, no match for Jesus. He can save them. Jesus, whatever it is, can deal with it. What are the most common causes of death in our age? Uh, I looked at last year's leading causes of death. Number one, don't know if you can guess, was heart disease. Number two, dementia and Alzheimer's and those sorts of illnesses. Number three actually was COVID uh, last year, which it wasn't the two years before. But last year, it was the third leading cause of death in our country, which is the first time an infectious disease has been a leading cause of death for a long, long time. In Jesus' day, those kinds of infectious diseases would have been killing half the people before they grew into adulthood. But whatever it is, Jesus can handle it. And in case you think there's kind of some kind of super bug that Jesus can't handle, well, we won't read it, but when you get to chapter 5, a guy comes along and says, Jesus, my daughter's sick, come. Jesus goes, but he's a bit too slow getting there because he gets interrupted by healing someone else. When he gets there, the girl is dead. And that doesn't stop Jesus. He can still heal her. So our question is, what happens when you die? And you read the first half of Mark's Gospel, and you come up with an answer. Well, what happens when you die? I don't need to die if I've got Jesus around. 
And, and even if I did, he'd, he'd bring me back straight away. What happens when I die? Jesus can save from death. Now, that's a bit of a belief. Um, you know, if you go to the next one. Yeah, that, yeah, that's good. Jesus can save from death. Um, that's a bit of a belief, because I ask, what happens when I die? I'd really rather not die, right? That would be the ideal answer. And Jesus seems to make that possible, uh, except you know, he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, but he didn't heal mine. And he's not in the neighborhood, so to speak, where you can walk up and knock on his door and say, Jesus, heal me. But that's our problem. But there's actually a problem in Mark's gospel itself, which is Jesus is about to tell his disciples that he's going to die. This man who can save you from death is going to die. So skip over to chapter 8. It's the bit we read before. And uh, if you're following on the outline, we're up to point 2. Have a look at verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? That's been the big question in chapters 1 to 8. Who is Jesus? They told him. Uh, some people say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He asked them, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now Peter gets it right. Jesus can save from death. He is the Christ, which means God's King that God has sent into the world to save people. Peter has worked it out from everything Jesus has done. Except he hasn't quite worked it out. Um, because, well, as we're going to see, he makes a mistake. Jesus then goes on in verse 31. He began to teach them the Son of Man must suffer, that, that's him talking about himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, when people went around asking questions with the, the chat G-O-D, do you say G-O-D or God? I'm not even sure. Uh, some, a lot of people asked this, the, the question we're looking at tonight, what happens when I die? A few people asked, when will I die? I, I don't really want to know that. Do you? But some of you do, apparently. Uh, if that was you, that's okay. You can, you can ask that question. I'd prefer not to know. And I'd prefer not to know how I'm going to die. But Jesus seems to know how and roughly when he's going to die. And he tells his disciples, Peter doesn't like it, Verse 32, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know, just after calling Jesus God's appointed king, he's now trying to correct him on how to do his job. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In other words, Jesus is saying, No, this is what God's king must do. This is the thing of God, to die and rise again. But now we need to pay particular attention to what Jesus is going to say next. This is going to help us answer our question. He lays out an offer to his followers. He says in verse 34, calling the crowd to him, so not just his disciples, but the crowd as well, he says to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, I think the easiest way to, to grasp what Jesus is saying here is to think, Jesus just said, he's going to die and rise again. Basically, what he's saying now is, you're going to follow me, you're going to give up your life, and in, in essence, die, and that's how you will save it. You've got to follow the same trajectory that Jesus is going down. To die in order to rise again. Now I understand that I think at Union Church you sometimes get asked questions in the middle of the sermon. Is that still true? Um, and maybe you thought because you had a guest preacher you'd get away with it tonight. But I'm going to ask you a question because I think it's important that we come to terms with what Jesus is saying here. So I've got a question that's going to come up for you. Does Mark 8.35, which is down the bottom, does that offer a good deal? And why is it hard to take Jesus up on his offer? So the person that you were chatting to at the start of the church, um, say hi to them and see what you think of that question. Do one, I don't know your names, but do one or two of you want to give an answer that you gave or maybe the person next to you gave? Is it a good deal or, or is it too hard to take Jesus up on his offer? What do you think? Yeah. Um, oh, down the front. I was thinking, sorry. Okay. We were chatting about how um, if you believe in heaven or an afterlife, it's a great deal. But um, if you're being caught up in the now, it can be very hard to Yes. So, yeah, if, maybe if you're caught up in the here and now, it's a bit hard to give up your life. But if you believe in something great at the end, yes? I would say that it was hard for us to trust Jesus with our own lives. Yes, it's, it requires an extraordinary amount of trust to lose your life for someone on the promise that they're going to give it back to you, that you're going to save you know, you, you think of insurance, right? You, you pay a premium, and then if you're in trouble, they, they give you the money. Jesus is offering, well, the, the premium that you have to pay is your entire life. And so if he doesn't pay when you need to save your life, you're in trouble. It, it takes an extraordinary amount of trust. But that's the offer Jesus makes. And he doesn't really give you a choice, does he? Uh, in the other verses, he says, well, if you try to save your life, it's not going to work. You're going to lose it. Now, if we feel a little bit like Jesus' offer might be difficult to, to believe and to trust him, we are not the only ones. We're going to continue uh, up to point three in the story of Mark. We're going to look at the second half of Mark. And we're going to see a few different scenes that shows that this, this offer of giving up your life for Jesus in order to save it, it's quite hard for anyone to actually do it. So in chapter 10, uh, there's a well-known story where a rich young man comes up to Jesus and says, how do I get eternal life? They have a bit of a discussion about uh, God's commandments, and the rich man says, yeah, I think I'm good with those. Jesus says, okay, well, there's just one thing left for you to do. Sell everything you have, give it all to the poor, and then come follow me. Which is very similar to what he said back in chapter 8. Right? Lose your life for me in order to save it. But the rich man can't do it because he's too rich. Just, just like the person down the front said, you know, if you're too caught up in this world, you can't give it up. Now perhaps Jesus' 12 disciples could do better. But later in the same chapter, they definitely can't. Uh, so, in chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus predicts his death now for the third time, and they still don't understand 
And Jesus, uh, sorry, and James and John prove they don't understand by coming up to him and asking for special positions of privilege in Jesus' kingdom. Right, to a man who's just said he's going to die, they're saying, we want to be second and third in charge in your kingdom, Jesus. They're great. It's great to have James and John there because they represent what most of us are like. It's my life. I'm in charge of it. If there's some gain in following Jesus, then I'll do it. If there's some benefit to me, then I'll try and get ahead. I'll try and use Jesus to get ahead in life. That's what they're thinking. That's what the Bible calls sin. Jesus answers them in verse 41, and he answers the whole disciples, the ten hear about it, and they're indignant with James and John, which probably they're just annoyed that James and John got him first. And then Jesus called them and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, it's, it's very similar logic to what we saw in chapter 8, right? Chapter 8, we saw lose your life, and you gain it. Here he's saying, be a servant, be the lowest of all, and you'll be great. It's this kind of upside-down, inverted logic that Jesus gives. And the other similar thing to chapter 8 is that Jesus is calling his disciples to follow the same path he walks. Right? He said in chapter 8, I'm going to die and rise again. You want to follow me? Do the same thing. Here in chapter 10, he's saying... I am the servant of all. You want to follow me? Come and be a servant like me. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for many. We often talk about death as though it's losing a battle. Right? Especially with cancer, I hear this phrase all the time. Um, so and so lost their battle with cancer. But for Jesus, notice what he says about his death. He is not losing. It is why he came. It is his success, not his loss. We're going to flip over to chapter 14 now. One last scene we're going to look at with the disciples. It was our second Bible reading. The night before Jesus dies, he's kept telling them he's going to die. They don't seem to get it. It's getting closer and closer. And he has this meal with them. And he says in chapter 14, verse 22, uh, As they're eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see a similar idea, Jesus saying, I'm going to die. And a similar phrase, in chapter 10 he said, as a ransom for many. Here he says in chapter 14, I will pour out my blood for many. But this time, there's no call for his disciples to follow him. In the previous two times, Jesus has said, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I want you to do. This time in chapter 14, he actually says the opposite. Here's what I'm going to do. And you know what? None of you can do it. Verse 26. They sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Uh, they all said the same. But as you follow in the story, they, they don't. They don't do it. They go to a garden to pray, and Jesus says, Pray with me, but they can't. They can't stay awake. When Jesus gets arrested, they all run away. And when Jesus is on trial inside, Peter is outside denying Jesus, just as Jesus said he would. No one can follow him where he goes. He said, if anyone will come after me, go deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But none of them do. All they can do is watch on from a distance as he's crucified, entirely on his own, apart from the criminals who are beside him. And where does that leave us? Our question is, what happens when I die? Well, we started at the beginning. Jesus can save people from death. That was a good answer. Jesus then says, only you have to lose your life for me in order to save it. Right? Jesus says, you have to lose your life for him. But then no one actually does that. Is the third answer we've seen in the last half of Mark's Gospel. No one can lose their life for Jesus at this point in the story. So where does that leave us with our question of what happens when we die? And what about heaven and hell? So I haven't talked about them, but don't worry, we'll get to that. And we've done the hard work, actually, to understand what heaven and hell are all about. But first we want to tie up one really big question. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you want to save your life, you've got to lose it for me. But none of them did. Where does that leave his disciples, and where did that leave us? Jesus always knew that his disciples wouldn't follow him to the cross. He said that, right? You will all fall away. But look again at what he said in chapter 14, verse 28. Just after he's predicted they will fall away, he says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And in chapter 16, which I think is on the screen, when he is raised up, uh, he said to them, he is the angel in this verse, do not be alarmed, and he's talking to the two Marys who come looking for Jesus. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Right, Repeating what Jesus said in chapter 14. These failed disciples who ran away, Jesus is not going to run away from them. He's going to welcome them back. Even though none of them laid down their lives for him, he alone died as a ransom for them. His blood alone was poured out for them, dying for the many. So what happens when you die? It's going to happen to all of us. What happens when you die? The answer is, it all depends on Jesus and not on you and not on me. It depends on Jesus who died for the many. If those disciples who ran away were welcomed back by Jesus, it is not because 
They were great disciples who managed to follow everything Jesus did. It's because Jesus welcomed them back, mercifully and graciously. You might be someone who's never thought about Jesus until tonight. What happens when you die? It does not depend on what you've done up until this point in your life. It depends on Jesus who died for the many. And you could be a preacher like me, or you could be the son of a preacher, you could be descended of St. Peter himself. But your life and what happens when you die depends not on you, but on Jesus, who died for the many. And what are heaven and hell actually like? Hell is a place that Jesus talks about in Mark's Gospel. It is a place where those who do not depend on Jesus go. What did he say in chapter 8? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, Jesus will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, one day he will come back in glory, and those who have not trusted in him and depended on him will be his enemies and be put under his feet. If you want a more visual description, Jesus describes hell in chapter 9 as fire that never goes out. What about heaven? Jesus doesn't talk a lot about heaven in Mark's gospel, but actually, in a way, he does. If we looked at Mark chapters 1 to 7, Jesus can save from death. Heaven is just where that's happening all the time, where Jesus is always saving people. It's where he is king, and there is nothing bad. It's where he saves from sickness, from death, from pain, from isolation, from famine. It's where Jesus rules as king. And where everyone trusts in him. What happens when we die? Or whether it's heaven or hell, and Jesus talks about them both clearly, it depends on him. He is king. And we might want to know more. You know, We'd love it if someone would, would, would just like go ahead of us to this, what happens when you die, take a YouTube video, and upload it for us. You know, in Mark's Gospel, and in fact, the other Gospels too, Jesus doesn't come back and say, well, on the first day after I died, you know, I saw a light or anything. He doesn't, doesn't give us anything like that. We, we, we're curious, we want to know more, but Jesus doesn't tell us that. And I think even if he did, we might not believe him. He tells us, more importantly, what we need to know. Not exactly what happens when I die, but it's more important to know who you need to know before you die, and that is Jesus. We want to know what happens partly because we're obsessed with control. We want to know what happens because we want to have some control over what happens when we die. But that's foolish, right? No one has control when they die. If you had control, you wouldn't die in the first place. And Jesus gives us an inverted logic, right? The only way you have control over what happens when you die is by handing over control to Jesus. That is the only way you have any control over what happens after you die. You hand over control of your life and your death to Him. Because your life is better off in His hands than in yours. Now, if you would like uh, to ask me any questions, you can after we sing, and I will do my best to answer them uh, from the Bible. 
But uh, first we're going to pray. If you'd like to depend on Jesus and have him save your life, then we're going to, uh, I'm going to say a prayer that's going to come up on the screen. I'll just give you a moment to read it yourself. It's just a, a simple prayer expressing that we depend on Jesus for forgiveness and for eternal life. So I'm, I'm going to read those words out, and if you want to say it in your heart, then please do. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. Thank you that Jesus came to die for me, so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that you rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me, so that I may live with Jesus as my Lord. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.